We're thankful, God, for your Holy Spirit that leads us in every season of our life and even in these moments we gather together, whether as it is live in person or online or maybe later this week, as others participate in this worship, may they experience the fullness of your grace and may your word be proclaimed in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said, amen, amen. amen. Uh, next week, we have a special guest preacher. I'm kind of excited about this. So next week, the Reverend Dr. D.B. Koluthungan will be with us. And you're thinking, who is that? He is the founder and general secretary of, uh, I'm going to try to say it, Maharashtra Village Ministries. He is a conference superintendent in the Free Methodist Church, all the way from the Shalom Free Methodist Conference in India. And he is a special guest here of Bishop Mack, in uh, the United States for several weeks, and he'll be bringing the sermon next week. So he's going to be preaching next week. He's going to be talking about some of the work he's doing in India. So we're excited to have him next Sunday. So I, you'll read more about this in the newsletter coming out, but I wanted to let you know that we have a very special guest, the conference superintendent, who's preaching for us next Sunday. So let's pray for him as he prepares to bring that message for us. And as you know, in the life of our church, as we gather for our sanctuary worship this morning, what we're recognizing is that God has called us as a church into a season of prayer. And at the Ash Wednesday worship and last Sunday and even the Sunday before that, we've been talking about this deep emphasis we're trying to provide in our church on prayer. I hope many of you have your phones set to have an alarm go off at 2.23 in the afternoon because we're inviting everyone in our church to be in prayer for our congregation and prayer for the world at 2.23 every afternoon. And throughout our time here in the office, I was sitting next to Lori just the other day working on something on the computer, and 2.23 came, and we paused and we stopped right there, and we both prayed for our church. And so it's just a powerful reminder of how God has called us each to a life of prayer, and that's one way we can do that. We also invited everyone in our congregation into a, a pattern of fasting every week, modeled after the fast that John Wesley kept, the founder of the Methodist movement from Thursday at sundown until Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Some people are fasting from food or a certain kind of food or a certain activity. Others are taking upon themselves some other task or some other thing they're doing in their life to honor that period of time every week. And then ultimately, too, we're hoping you do our Lenten devotional where we have a prayer every day during Lent that you can pray and take some notes on and reflect upon. And we still have a few more of those in the foyers you leave this morning, large booklets that have this image you can see behind me on it. Pick one of those up if you don't already have one so you can be praying through the week. During this Lenten period, we're looking at the parables of Jesus through the lens of prayer, through the lens of prayer. So rather than just talking about the parables in general, we're talking about how the parable itself teaches us something about prayer. And so today I want to turn to a parable that you heard read a few moments ago by Lydia that comes uh, out of the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom of God, and it's a powerful parable for us to listen to, to hear in this series called Lost and Found that we're walking through, and what it means for us to find ourselves even when we're lost. There are some lessons about prayer that I want to talk about very quickly with you, five of them. And I want to walk you through each one of these five in a way that helps the, par the parable helps us think about how we can pray as a people using this parable as a guide. The first thing I want to share with you is this, is that prayer accepts 
God's grace everywhere. The, the great and defining image of this parable, very much like the parable of the seeds we talked about last Sunday, when we talked about how a sower went out to sow seeds and some went on the road, some went into the rocks, some went into the thorns, some on good soil. Well, this week is very similar. A, a person goes out to sow seed in a field and they plant that seed everywhere within their field and so they're preparing for a very large harvest to come. And one of the things this text reminds us is that God, as we know from the interpretation of this parable, Jesus will offer a few verses later, that God is in the sowing business, that God likes to spread grace around everywhere, and how we need to listen to that message carefully, because it becomes so easy in the time in which we live to kind of sum people up, or to make our own kind of judgment or perception about them, whether they be stranger or somebody else. What we hear in this parable is that seed goes everywhere. There's a way in which everyone receives and knows that abundant grace of God. Just a couple of weeks ago, I happened to sit in on the koinonia class. It's one of our classes that meet after worship every week. And when I was sitting in on koinonia, they had some special guests come, interlopers from the Samaritans class, which is another class we have. Gordon and Joyce Trapas spoke. And they talked about their painting business and how over the years, they've hired people to work in their business that have come from all walks of life. They've hired people who've been suffering from different forms of addiction. They've hired people who were once living on the streets. They've hired people from all those backgrounds. And many times, those hirings have gone on for decades. They've had some people working for them for 10, 20 years plus, whose lives are transformed by being engaged in working with them and working with their companies, really saved lives in many ways. I was so thankful just to sit there and listen to the story because it reminded me so much so about this very same principle, that God's grace is everywhere. And if we just pause and look at people in that way and we begin praying for people that way, it can really revolutionize how we pray. We're not praying to fix people. Rather, instead, we're praying for them to encounter the richness of God's grace in the same way we've encountered that grace. So a question to wonder about this week is this. What thanks and gratitude can you express to God today? And I'll add to this, especially for someone else. What thanks and gratitude can you express today expressly for someone else? Number two that we learn about prayer in this parable is that prayer accepts that evil is real and it's intentional. The parable tells us about how the sower went out and sowed seed in this field and an enemy came and sowed weeds in the midst of all of the wheat that was planted. So this parable is commonly called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And it's dominantly called that in English because saying the weeds and the wheat can be a bit of a tongue twister for people. So tares sounds a lot better. And so an enemy came and did this. The owner's not responsible for it. The person sowing seeds not responsible for it. An enemy came to do it. It says in the text that, that the individual is the devil that comes to do this. And Jesus explains it later in the, the, uh, the interpretation that that's the person who did this dastardly deed. In, in Hebrew thought, the name of that individual or that personification of evil is Satan or Satan. And in Greek, it's Diablos or the devil. Now, the devil in Greek means to be a, a schemer, to be diabolical, to be uh, confusing and confounding. Now, oftentimes, 
as Christians, we get this a little mixed up because um, we get sin and evil a bit confused or conflated at times. There's a way in which we understand our own sinfulness and the results of our sinfulness as part of brokenness and evil in the world. And evil is this other thing where there are spiritual forces of darkness at work in the world amplifying evil. And it's like a Venn diagram. They can overlap slightly at times where evil can even inhabit sin in such a way that it breaks and destroys and it ruins life. And so when we think about this, we can't always attribute everything that goes wrong in the world with evil. Sometimes things that go wrong in the world go wrong because of sin. Sometimes things go wrong the way they are because of the spiritual forces of evil that are at work. So we need to be careful about how we think about those two things together. Here's an example of evil we might want to reflect on that's happening in, at large in our society. The Department of Health and Human Services says that 70,000 people died just last year from opioid overdose in the United States. 70,000 people. Now, originally, this was a substance that was created for medicinal use for pain management. So when people would have a, a surgery or something like that, opioids have been around for millennia. But in the way in which we're experiencing today, it was a medication for pain management after a medical procedure. And it turned from that into a substance that people could not get off of. They were hooked on it as a prescription drug after their medical procedure. And then when the prescription ran out, then they would pursue getting the drug illegally so that they could have it to feed the addiction that was happening in their life. I can say, at least from my standpoint, that what's happening in the opioid epidemic is evil. It's destroying human life on a scale that we've not seen. But yet it has within it all these different ingredients, doesn't it? It has, a, it has human sin in it. It has greed in it. It has drugs in it. I see it's, it's this interwoven, complex, nuanced conversation that's hard for us to hold. But that's how evil works, friends. It's secretive, quiet. It's working when nobody knows, especially for those working on this particular farm in this parable. Because when the weed and the wheat sprout up, they immediately want to go take the weeds and pull them out of the ground. Nobody knew the evil was there until it had already sprouted. And so when we try to preempt evil, we usually get that wrong. But the reality is, as evil happens and we see it, we know it's there. The question is, what do we do about it? So some questions to wonder about. How am I praying about the evil of this world? And am I centered on the issue? Or am I centered on people? when we pray about those things. Number three, prayer accepts the confusion of evil and good. And this is the hardest part of the parable for us to understand, especially through the light of prayer. See, the owner doesn't dispute for a minute that the weeds and the wheat are growing next to each other. They are. But there's a danger if we seek to just go ahead and try to pull the weeds out. In the parable, the story is told that the servants tell the owner, can we just go pull all the weeds out of the ground? But at that early stage of their growth, it's complex. And it's complex because the weeds and the wheat look an awful lot alike. I've got a picture of it up here. I'll show you what they look like. In the early stage of growth, you can see on the right, wheat. On the left, that's what the tear looks like. 
The tear puts down deeper roots on the ground than the wheat does. So if you try to pull the tear or the weed out of the ground, you'll probably pull up a bunch of the surrounding wheat at the same time. Damage is caused when you try to root it out too fast. So sometimes when we're thinking about how we're praying for others and praying for a world, we need to remember that the weeds and the wheat exist side by side until a certain period in time. And that time is not here yet among us. So the issue, friends, is not that there's evil. The issue is what's going to happen with it and who handles it and when does it get handled. So here's a question I'd like you to wonder about. How are you affirming the acts, the activities, or people around you who are living as followers of Jesus? Now, the reason I put that question there is because I want us to think about when we're praying Typically, do we pray about the problem or do we pray about encouragement? Do we pray in a way that is an encouragement to other people? God, please lift up this person. God, please touch this person. God, please lift them in a new dimension of your power and grace. Or do we simply pray in a problem-solving lens where we just want to fix whatever is there? So finding ways to pray that, that are about affirmation, about lifting people up, about encouraging the behavior that we know they want, that we hope for, that's a different way to pray for people than just solving whatever problem they happen to face. Number four, prayer accepts our judgment is premature. The first impulse of the workers is to clear the field of the weeds but in doing so, as we've talked about, they jeopardize the wheat. So at issue is not the separation of the weeds and the wheat. It's when it's going to happen and who's in charge of that. What we have to remember here is this, is that God alone is the judge, that God is the only one that knows how to sort this out, that God sees the intent of the heart in a way that we can never see it. It's hard for us to let go of that. God sees the heart in only a way that God can see it. Now, when Jesus interprets this parable in a few verses later in this very same chapter, he explains that at the end of the age, the weed and the wheat, weeds and the wheat will be gathered up, they'll be separated, the weeds will be bundled together and burned, and the wheat will be taken in for the harvest into the barn. And when Jesus interprets the parables, he says somebody's in charge of that job. The angels are in charge of that job. So let's be clear, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, who's in charge of that job? God is in charge of that job, and angels do the work. And when does that happen? The correct answer is, not yet. Not yet. This is one of the hardest things for us to do in prayer. Because often what we do in prayer is we pray about the outcome we want to see happen for an individual. And what I would suggest to us when we pray is that when we're praying for an outcome, we might actually be getting in the way of the outcome God wants to bring for a person or a situation. So when we pray, we have to shift our understanding that God is judging, God is holding all of this. Our work is to actually be with the weeds and not get stressed out about it. 
because we know the weeds are going to get handled. Our job is to be with them, even until the harvest. That doesn't mean we ignore evil, but we accept that it's God's to judge. One of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, puts it this way. In one of his letters he wrote from prison, he said, Still more pathetic is the total collapse of moral fanaticism. Fanatics think their single-minded principles qualify them to do battle with the powers of evil. But like a bull, they rush at the red cloak instead of the person who's holding it. He exhausts himself and is beaten. He gets entangled in non-essentials and falls into the trap set by cleverer people. Timely, wouldn't you say, for a theologian who wrote that 70-plus years ago? So here's a question for us. How can we stop the impulse to exact judgment? How do we stop that impulse? A little self-intervention, if you will. But the part I like best about the parable is the end. The wheat is gathered into the barn. It's a good image, isn't it? Prayer accepts number five, that the future is bright, not dim. Evil is judged. The wheat's gathered into the barn. The weeds get burned. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the reality in our life, the end of this is sure. So there's a confidence in letting go of what happens to weeds we can let go and focus on being the wheat God has called us to be in our time. This is difficult to do, is it not? In the culture of confrontation in which we live, argue, duke it out, hostile, we're called to be people of peace, to recognize that God is the judge. Our work is to be the best wheat we can be so God can make good bread out of all of us. Our season of prayer and fasting in this church is important. There are practices that settle us into a rest with God, knowing that we do our work alongside evil as it exists in the world shouldn't alarm any of us. So we function out of a, out of a reality that we trust God and that God has everything under control. Listen, friends, God is not nearly surprised about the problems this world faces as you are. And so as followers of Jesus, let's just all take a deep breath and blow out. And let's pray today that we can be the people God needs us to be for the sake of a world that literally is killing itself. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this parable of the weeds and the wheat. It's hard for us. We like to judge. We like to make decisions. We like to decide. But yet, God, you tell us to let go and to trust that you will sort it when the time is right. We know, God, it's a complex issue for us because the calls for justice and wholeness today are clear. And so, God, teach us how to hold this well. Hold well the call for justice with the, 
with the reluctance to be the judge always. Thank you.